Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 16.2 Bringing it back from the jungle. Welcome back to 21. Last week we introduced the 16th wonder of the ancient world, the Lion Rock Fortress, or Sigiriya, of Sri Lanka. Constructed on top of a monolithic rock pillar on the island of Sri Lanka in the middle of the jungle, Sigiriya is one of the most impressive archaeological feats not just of the ancient world, but of architectural history in its entirety. Sigiriya was both the palace and a fortress for King Kashyapa I after he overthrew his father and expelled his half-brother to take control of the throne. He knew an attack would be coming, so he built the most impressive fortress of the ancient world. It also served as his capital city, and a royal playplace, so to speak. Its gardens and pools are viewed as some of the most impressive examples of ancient landscaping that have survived for us today. But its function doesn't take away from the impressiveness of the construction project. The sheer sides of the rock formation made it incredibly difficult to move the large amounts of building materials needed for the construction of the palace and other royal buildings on top of the rock formation. The sheer sides of the rock also served two other purposes. One, it was used as a canvas to paint the largest outdoor gallery in the world. And two, this meant that there was only one way, up or down. The fortress seemed ideal for a king who would be waiting for an attack. He had water and subterranean pumps to bring water back up to the top of the rock formation. Such a fortress would seem impenetrable, immune to siege. But sadly, for King Kashyapa I, and for us today, the fortress never got a chance to prove its power. Now we do not know the exact start and end date of the construction of Sigiriya, but we do know that King Kashyapa I reigned for about 20 years, from 477 to 495 AD. So obviously, Sigiriya was built sometime during that window. I want to mention something here briefly, just in case some of you have been paying attention. I know this date, 477 to 495, is just beyond the quote-unquote end date for the ancient world, which is deemed to be the sack of Rome by the Vandals around 455 AD. But Sigiriya is so impressive, and it's close enough, that I thought it was appropriate to put it on the show. Alright, back on track. King Kashyapa I knew that an attack was coming from his stepbrother, Prince Mogalana, who had fled to southern India after his coup. And while I'm sure that it was a worst-case scenario that King Kashyapa I had to retreat up Sigiriya, it never came to that. The invasion from his stepbrother did come, but it went worse than King Kashyapa I could ever have expected. The people of his kingdom weren't exactly overjoyed with his little coup, and they helped his stepbrother when he invaded. A major battle happened between the two sides in 495 AD, 
and King Kashyapa I was killed during the battle. With his death came the end of his rule and of his kingdom. In a fairly quick transition, Sigiriya was abandoned and the capital restored to the city of Andarapura, which was the capital city before Kashyapa I moved it to Sigiriya. When the capital was moved back to Andarapura, the palace fortress of Sigiriya was stripped of all it was worth. Stone, precious metals, ivory, gold, anything of value was taken from the palace and other royal buildings. The remnants of the palace itself were converted into a Buddhist monastery. As amazing as it might seem, King Kashyapa I's reign was the height of Sri Lankan power. Upon the completion of Sigiriya, Sri Lanka was an incredibly wealthy land that had natural resources desired by all the major empires all over the world. From Egypt to Mesopotamia, to India and China and beyond, resources like timber, fish, ivory and other exotic animals were sent all over the world. Sigiriya was the culmination of wealth and power of ancient Sri Lanka. After its fall, while the kingdoms of Sri Lanka continued to rule, they became more and more involved in Indian political strife, which would lead to Sri Lanka being conquered by India once again. While we will not go into Sri Lankan history here, the peak of Sri Lankan power and influence ended with Sigiriya's fall. Sri Lankan power and wealth slowly began to fade after that. Once Sigiriya was converted to a Buddhist monastery, it slowly fell into ruin. But there were still some people who came to view the magnificent mirror wall. The wall that was polished so fine, the king could see his reflection in it. There became an interesting tradition that developed with this wall. Visitors to the wall began writing inscriptions in it. These inscriptions date from about the 8th century to the 10th century AD. All kinds of people wrote things on the wall. Poets, priests, governors, housewives, and anyone in between wrote something on the wall when they came to visit. Even Buddhist monks wrote a few things, despite the fact that they were forbidden to do so. While some people just wrote their names, others wrote lines of poetry on the wall and others wrote who they were and why they were there. One such inscription translates to this, quote, I am Budal, the writer's name, came with hundreds of people to see Sigiriya. Since all the others wrote poems, I did not. I can understand where this person is coming from. Had I been there and read all the things on the mirror wall, I probably would have written something similar. But this tourist attraction quickly faded as Sigiriya continued to fall into ruin. Despite all these visitors, no one ever saw or set foot on the summit of the rock formation. Over the ensuing centuries, Sigiriya was slowly abandoned until finally it was completely abandoned. At least, the palace fortress on top of the rock as the gardens and the grounds in front of the rock formation were kept in working order. At least, as much as they could be. 
the jungle began to overtake what once was a wonder of the ancient world. And the jungle is unstoppable. Sigiriya began to fall from memory into legend. The mists and myths of the jungle and its creatures only added to the mystical aura of Sigiriya. As time passed, the rock formation became an imposing figure. Large formations of bats would fly from the ruins of the buildings on top. For centuries, they and the other animals who accompanied them were the only ones to view the summit. Sigiriya remained a mystery and a footnote in history for hundreds of years, until the British Empire came along. In 1865, the island of Sri Lanka was formally annexed into the growing British Empire. In 1827, a young British officer by the name of Jonathan Forbes arrived on the island. He arrived with great excitement about the jungle, unlike most of his counterparts. He had grand visions of elephant hunts and exploring the dense jungle. While he was there, he befriended a man named George Turnerow. George Turnerow was a British civil servant who had been on the island translating ancient Sri Lankan documents, inscriptions, and carvings. As such, Officer Forbes became aware that there was a fabulous lost city somewhere hidden deep in the jungle. How much documentation or how many inscriptions survived for Forbes to read about Sigiriya, we have no idea. But there wasn't a road map or anything, so to speak, to lead him exactly to it. In fact, it would take a few more years, not until 1831, for Forbes to happen upon Sigiriya, deep in the Sri Lankan jungle. Forbes was on an elephant hunt when he stumbled upon the ruins. Forbes described how he and his companions ventured through the thick undergrowth and clambered up the dislodged steps of a series of winding stairs that zigzagged up the top of the rock and onto a walled gallery. This was the mirror wall. They continued along this gallery for about 100 meters, or about 300 feet. Before weary from heat and exhaustion, they were forced to abandon their exploratory party. But Forbes would not be denied his grand adventure. He returned in 1833 to continue his exploration of the site, noting that the projecting rock above the galley, quote, had been painted in bright colors, end quote. These, of course, were what was left of the Sigiriya frescoes. I can only imagine Forbes' expression when he came upon the ruins of Sigiriya. His wildest dreams could not have prepared him for the sight that he saw. Pushing aside the ever-encroaching jungle to see what remained of that once amazing city must have truly been jaw-dropping. Once it was rediscovered, it was only a matter of time before Sigiriya was excavated and the jungle cut back once more. Excavations of Sigiriya began in 1895. The excavation work began in January and was led by the first archaeological commissioner, Harry Charles Perverus Bell, or HCP Bell, as he's known. But these excavations were slow, as the dense jungle had to be cut away little by little. 
From 1895 to 1898, the entire rock was hacked clean along with the surrounding area. The entire rock and the surrounding area were surveyed as well. It was during these years that there was some amazing work done on the paintings of the rock formation. All the remaining 22 frescoes were copied by skilled artists to recreate them as accurately as possible, but onto portable canvas. Now what happened to those paintings? We don't know. They're probably either destroyed, or maybe one or two hiding in a private collection somewhere. But other work done during this expedition revealed the impressive drainage works and hydraulic pumps that were built for the gardens and pools of Sigaria. But like most archaeological sites, one dig is never enough to reveal everything that is to be found or understood. In 1907, John Still, a British archaeologist and author, was down in Sri Lanka and viewed the frescoes himself, and he was awed by what he saw. He wrote, quote, The whole face of the hill appears to have been a gigantic picture gallery, the largest picture in the world, perhaps, end quote. He wasn't wrong. And you would think that a reaction like that would be the reaction of everyone who saw the frescoes. But sadly, this is not the case. There was an incident involving the frescoes in 1967. On October 14, 1967, someone vandalized the frescoes by throwing paint on them. I honestly don't know why someone would do this. Why you would vandalize a beautiful piece of history like that is beyond my ability to understand. But nevertheless, the incident happened. Fortunately, though, a cleanup process began almost immediately. The man in charge of this process was a man named Luciano Marinazzi, an expert trained at the International Center for the Study of the Preservation and Restoration of Cultural Property in Rome. That is a mouthful. The cleanup process took about six months and was finished on April 11, 1968. This cleanup process was considered to be one of the most challenging archaeological processes ever undertaken by the Chemical Preservation Division of the Department of Archaeology. Again, another mouthful. And this is understandably so. Cleaning off ancient paintings outdoors on a rock face with paint that's over a thousand years old and having to clean off new paint, I'm honestly surprised it only took six months. Work continues on Sigaria to this day. In 2010, there was a report made about the condition of the frescoes and the fact that the original paint has been fading. Whether or not this is a direct result of the cleanup process from the vandalism, we don't know. It's highly unlikely that that is the sole reason, though, as the sun on the island of Sri Lanka is intense. But the preservation of the frescoes is not the only thing that is happening at Sigaria. In 2018, an archaeological dig found a number of artifacts, including a terracotta statue of a lion, terracotta pots, beads, and iron antiques were found. Professor Prashantha Gunawardena, I think I'm saying that right, one of the leaders of the dig, 
had this to say about the finds, quote, For centuries, there have been several theories regarding the lion statue of Sigaria. But now, with this, the smaller statue, being found, we can assume as to how the original lion statue looked like. We believe that this mini-statue could be a replica of that. They went on further to say that other clay pots found from the excavation looked like those that were manufactured in foreign countries. This means that we, the Sri Lankans, had a well-structured business trade with Rome and the Central Asian region during King Siguri Kashyapa's era, end quote. This type of find proves the range of trade that Kashyapa's empire had. It went all the way to the Roman Empire in the west and up into Central Asia. It's findings like these that continue to show us that the ancient world was more connected than we thought, and that the peoples and kingdoms of the ancient world were more aware of their surroundings and had more contact with each other than originally thought. Today, Sigaria is a popular tourist attraction in southern Asia. People are allowed to walk up the Lion Gate, up the stairs, and walk around on top of Sigaria. It truly is an awe-inspiring view. And it's a view that I hope to see myself someday. And hopefully at some point, we will find some text or inscription that gives us greater detail about the buildings that once graced the top of this magnificent rock formation. Maybe then, some form of reconstruction project can take place on the palace, so we can get a glimpse of what Sigaria would have looked like in its heyday. But a find like that is unlikely in all reality. For now, what remains is still one of the greatest wonders of the ancient world. Hidden from the known world for more than a thousand years, the Lion Rock Fortress, or Sigaria of Sri Lanka, is a masterful feat of engineering and urban planning. To even build a single structure on top of the rock formation would have taken extraordinary effort. Never mind that King Kashyapa I built a palace up there. Sigaria reminds me so much of another wonder that we'll get to just a few wonders down the list. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Beautiful, an incredible feat of engineering, physics, and urban planning. And both were destroyed much too soon. So soon that little to nothing remains of what the finished wonder would have looked like. But we will get to the Hanging Gardens in a few weeks. For now, we're moving on to the next wonder on our list. We stay in Asia and are heading back to a rain we left some time ago. One of the only reigns in history that built multiple wonders of the ancient world. In fact, there are only two of these, and we will visit them in back-to-back -back wonders. Nebuchadnezzar is one of these rulers, but the other is Emperor Shi Huangdi, and other than his terracotta army, his other wonder is the only one visible from space. Oh,